0: I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, we're talking with skills development coach, Steve D'Agostino. For those who don't know Steve, I'll attempt to introduce him and his impressive resume. He was a two-time NCAA Division II All-American at the College of State Rose, along with a two-time ESPN the Magazine Academic All-American, which we love, uh, a Bob Cousy Award nominee. He played professionally overseas in Iceland, Hungary, um, Italy, Spain, the UK. I think I got them all there, and he currently runs – Dag's basketball. He's a skills coach for USA basketball junior national team. And as you can tell, has quite the extensive resume. So w- welcome,
1: Steve. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. So I want to start real quickly before we talk about skills development stuff and international hoops about your your background. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I was, uh, and, and I didn't know you back then when you were in high school, but yeah. I think I read when you were a sophomore, you were five, six, 120 pounds.
1: Five, is, that, six, is, that, is that correct five, six, 120 pounds uh made the varsity team even being that small and was just kind of like a shooter back then and um you know it's interesting i i i knew it's helped me right i'm a skills coach now so i i was put myself through these workouts from 8th grade all the way through the time that i was done playing professionally and and being small i kind of knew that i was going to have to outwork everybody but also like be you know as smart as i could be and have a high IQ and you know, all that hard work kind of paid off. And you know, when I got to college, I, I ended up or in high school, I ended up growing a couple inches in high school. So I ended at like 5'11", 100 and like 35, 140 pounds. But I was lucky enough to find a coach and coach Bury at the College of St. Rose who believed in me and offered me a scholarship. It was my only scholarship in the NE10. I had actually, my dad sent out my, high, you know, back then it was like highlight actual hmm. tapes, right? Like VHS to every school in the NE10 and nobody responded um and uh except for saint rose and so like to go from like you know you couldn't even get a call back from one of these coaches to being the two-time mvp of the league and a two-time all-american was was pretty cool
0: i love that man and and i want to talk about that for a second actually because it goes i think too many people overlook it but you obviously had that like chip on your shoulder and Talk about like the, the, the division two level, because as we all know, like everyone wants to be a division one player and everyone yeah. wants to have that scholarship. Right. Yeah. So, so in your case um, and, and similar to my case, like I didn't have division one schools calling me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was a very different situation than you because I was a walk-on, but to, to take that division two scholarship in your case, you know, what was that like? like, did you have, what was your mindset? Like, were you like, oh man, I don't have a division one scholarship or, you know, do you think that chip on your shoulder really fueled you to have such a great career?
1: So uh, definitely the chip on the shoulder helps. I had, so coming out of high school, like I said, I was five eleven, 135 pounds. So like looking back on it now, I'm like, dude, no division one school is going to give me a scholarship. It doesn't matter. Just not, unless I'm that
0: right. uh, height
1: and weight and I'm flying above the rim, like it ain't happening. But you know, I had a, a couple of IVs that I was going to go to Northfield, Mount Herman, their coach, John Carroll is another guy who like, believed in me, like saw exactly what I could produce on the court. And so I was going to go there. A couple of IVs were like, Hey, you know, we'll be on you hard if you go there. And I just wanted to go to college. You know, I, I didn't want to go the prep school route. Right. Um, and so what I think really, really helped me is that summer I committed to St. Rose. And then that summer we were playing pickup with the guys and I'd leave pickup and I'd be like, how the hell am I going to play here? You know, <laughs> like these guys are huge. They're, you know, they're juniors or seniors. They've been through the grind and you know, the division two level, there's a lot of very skilled players and stuff. So you know, that kind of helped me too. Like, I didn't have the head, like, like, oh, it's division two. Like I should go and start. Like, I didn't even know how I was going to freaking play. Right. So that kind of fueled my summer. It fueled my mindset going in as a freshman. And, and it only took me two games to, in order for coach to kind of start me. And I think he surprised everybody, you know, cause there was a lot of coaches around here that, you know, knew me and they thought that I was a division three guy because I was so small and to, to go to a place like St. Rose that had such a winning culture and, and start two games in was like a big deal. And you know, we won twenty games every single year, and you know, I think I started you know every game after those first two. So, uh, I think though my mindset going in, knowing like, hey, this isn't a given, was was the biggest thing for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's huge, and and obviously winning, you know, winning and and having that career that you had helped you for the next step in your in in your professional career. And talk about that process. So, at what point during your college career did you get? St- started to hit up by agents or, or did you start thinking about like, Hey, wow, like I can actually be a pro here.
1: So I knew in high school, like my mom was born in Italy. So, so I followed a little bit of the European game. I knew I could Mm -hmm. get my passport. I knew that would help me, but you know, my first two years at at St. Rose, I started every game, but I wasn't, you know, I averaged like eight points a game on, you know, on a winning team. And then after my junior year, when I became an all American, you know, then it was like, wait a second, this thing's for real you know, let's see, let's see how far we can take it. So um, it wasn't till my senior year that I got hit up by agents. Um, but I had, you know, like six or seven after my senior year that that were on me that really wanted me and, and it was a cool little process.
0: And then so when you went overseas, talk about that for a little bit. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I, I obviously tell a lot of guys that, you know, first of all, you don't have to be a division one player to, 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 to be a pro. Um, And then second of all, when you get overseas, what was that transition like for you? I mean, how different was it than college hoops and what, what were some of the difficulties for you to translate from college basketball to playing in, in UK and Iceland and Spain and
1: all these places? So my, my first year I was in, I signed in Iceland with Keflavik and um, it was great. I loved Iceland, but a month in, you know, the financial crisis of 2008 hit. So, you know, it's that actually started in Iceland with the Icelandic bank. So we, we got mm. sent home a month and they sent all the Americans home. And then I was kind of waiting. I was with Inner Performances at the time and I was waiting for them to find me something uh, else. But as far as like the game itself, I'm more of like a feeble player, like high IQ, understands situations. Um, and And so, and the pro lifestyle, like I was already working out all the time. I was dedicated to the game. So that wasn't that much of a change. Um, when I went to, so uh, like a month being home, then I signed with, uh, debertson uh, in Hungary, Hungary. And, and it's crazy. Cause I still follow all these teams and, and debertson was like, club was terrible, terrible. And the owner of it was a great dude. He was, a uh, he's actually a uh, professor, I believe in physics at Clemson now, but, uh, new English, all that stuff, but you know, club had no money walking to practice you know losing games by like 30 and and I remember we so the first 10 games that I got there I was leading the league in points and assists just killing like 22 points like eight assists we we I don't even know if we had won a game yet though and they brought in a new coach and the coach was like hated the Americans didn't speak any English like thought he was the man and I remember having a meeting like now we're 15 games into his tenure and uh And we still had only, so we won two games with the old coach and we had won one game with the new coach and the new coach is ripping us in front of all the board members, the president. And, you know, I, I just kind of stood up and said, listen, I want to win just as much as anybody. I feel like I sacrificed. I was leading the league in scoring and assists. And now I'm playing 28 minutes a game, you know, and, and everything's being run through the Hungarians. And he's like, well, you're selfish. And, and you know we're here to win and this is what and i said timeout we've won one game since you've been here we won two with the old coach so don't tell me that i'm selfish right and so you know that was kind of my glimpse into into european basketball a lot of times and and one of my agents was really good when he said this is like listen in america like no coach in college get fired midseason unless you do something crazy in european basketball the coaches are just as nervous as the players about their job security, right? So there is a little give and take there. And so, you know, Hungary kind of opened my, it was the first losing season I'd ever had in my whole life. Um, And so it was, it just kind of set the tone for me that, listen, this is professional basketball, you got to take care of yourself. You got to do, you got to be a professional, right? You got to show up on time, give everything you can deal with all the BS that comes along with it. And, you know, and that just kind of set the stage for me too, when, when I was with really good clubs, like my club in Iceland, my club in England, um, you know, my club in Spain, like, you know, you, you just appreciate well-run organizations.
0: Yeah. They're, they're definitely hard to come, come by. And it, cause I remember being in, I think we talked when I was at a game last year with one of my guys in Debrecen yeah. and uh, uh, no, it's, it's cool to hear that story. I think that's, I mean, that must've been a good learning situation as well, because, yeah. you know, as an as an import and as an American on a team like that, like you can't always speak up like that, but no. but until you, like basically until you earn it, which obviously yeah. leading the league in that, now yeah. you can say something. So it's kind yeah. of something that if if you're a pro listening to this, I think it's important for you to keep in mind. You know, if you're losing a lot of games and you're not and you're not contributing, then you better keep yeah. your mouth shut and do what they yeah. say. You
1: know, and, um, and part of that too, not to cut you off, is yeah, like just context, right? They were two months behind on paying, right? Like. Mm-hmm there was in our contract were meals every single night, there would be times where, you know, there was a guy assigned to like, get us our meals on certain nights where he would never call in the order and we wouldn't get fed. So, so there was a lot of stuff building up to like, listen, I'm not just going to sit here and be treated like crap. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, um, so that definitely plays into it a bit. I'm not telling people like, Hey, you should start yelling because you'll get fired. Your, yes. your ass will be home the next day. So that's not what I'm saying. It just, you know, again, it opens up your eyes. It's, it's chaotic over there.
0: Context is huge. Knowing when you have leverage and when you don't is, is definitely, definitely a big part of it. So, all right, that was, that was great to hear about the, the international, um, life as a pro. So talk about the transition from when you knew you were kind of coming to the end of your career into what you basically have been doing since and do now, uh, of, of training.
1: Yeah. My last year, uh, playing overseas, I was in, so I started in Iceland. Uh, my goal was to get back. Cause I was in my second year, I was in Italy's Liga Due, which was a really good league. And yeah. I wanted to get back to kind of that level. So I had a Spanish agent and, and he was like, listen, go to Iceland, start with the team that you're familiar with. They're good people over there. And then he was like, I- I'll, pro- I promise I'll get you to Spain. So midway through the season, um there was an opening in leb silver and all the goal was always to get to leb gold he got me to oviedo and leb silver for like a month and then i got to Yeda, which was like number two in the league at the time and leb gold they were another one they were way behind in payments but you know it's, it's you know you sacrifice a little bit when you want to play and improve yourself at a higher level so but at that time once i got to you know oviedo i did pretty well but once i got to yada plantar fasciitis in both my feet i had a uh bulging disc in my lower back like it would take me literally 40 minutes to get ready for practice i could barely like there was a, a clip of me stealing the ball one time and it literally took me like 10 seconds to dribble down the court mm. you know so like so i kind of knew it was coming to an end then and then uh that summer you know i felt like crap couldn't work out at all ended up getting married so i was like listen i got to transition into something else and i had already been running my so i was running basketball camps and clinics during <clears> the <throat> summer while i was home for the, for the past but it was like four or five years at the time. So I knew that that's where I was going to transition to, uh, into full time. And so it was kind of a smooth transition. It was going from like just summers to full time took like a year, a year and a half to really build it to where I wanted it. But, um, I had already kind of planted the seeds around my hometown, uh, to get that role. when I was done playing.
0: Mm. And, and so for, for those listening that don't know, obviously, uh you know i gave a nice little introduction but you you are a skills coach and and and, and development coach so talk about that because i think you know we we've spoke about this previously but everyone wants to be a skills coach now right and um talk about how you kind of built that business and i guess a little more about what you do because now it's i mean it's not even counting the years that you were planting those seeds and doing camps in the summer it's it's like almost 15 years of you building your business to get to where you're at you know it doesn't happen overnight obviously
1: right yeah yeah and so like i like to say it too. uh, like we were talking before, like, what's the title? Like, what do you like? I'm just the coach. I struggle with that a lot of times too. Like, right. Everybody's skilled development coach, player development, you know, everybody throws guru at the end of like their name too on Instagram too, you know? So, but, uh, but I'm just the coach. So there's a lot of times where, you know, we're doing all skill stuff with our players uh, whether it's an individual workout, whether it's a group workout, whether it's a team workout, but you know, a lot of it is offensive concepts, defensive concepts, situations. We're, we're just coaching and teaching, um, these kids really how to play basketball. And that's, you know, I kind of struggle with that. I see on Twitter all the time, you know, like there'll be trainers that talk about college coaches, like, Oh, you're not putting them in situations where they can succeed or college coaches. will talk about trainers, Mm -hmm. like, you know, to all the trainers out there, make sure you're working on this with the kids. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, so what are the roles? Like, is a trainer literally only skills and like, we're doing footwork and finishing and shooting and then the coaches get them and then you do, or are we yeah. supposed to prepare? Cause other, other times college coaches like, you know, to all the trainers out there, make sure they understand these situations. And you're like, wait a second. So, like everybody's just doing, we're doing everything now. So, you know, I'm just the coach. We do whatever a kid needs, you know, we're there to, uh, we're there to help them get better and understand the game in, in better ways. And and so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree completely.
0: I think, having the title of coach means that you have to be able to sure you could be specialized like there could be specialized shooting coaches and there are at the highest levels but you also have to wear a lot of hats I mean you might have to be a coach on like hey here's how you balance your 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 freaking homework and then here's how you balance how much you get into the gym like you're 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 a life coach that is an expert in basketball let's say right um and so what what are some of the things that you work on with your players I mean would you say that you're that you have expertise in certain, um, skill sets or, or like, how do you kind of run your workouts? It probably yeah. depends on the player.
1: Yeah. So, so what's different is I don't have just one team. I've always thought like, man, if I just had, if I was the development guy for Rutgers, right, it would be mm-hmm. so easy. Cause I'd know all the guys we, but like, you know, we're working with a thousand kids, um, wow. over the course of a year and 20 different teams and NBA guys and fifth graders. So, you know, we have, our base is, we want our players to be fundamentally sound. So we do a lot of like ball handling, not just stationary, right? Against live defense, learning how to bring the ball up the court, get to different angles. We'll do finishing. We'll get our shooting in. um, uh, Just give them a broad understanding of the game and the fundamentals that they need to succeed. We put them in live competitions a lot of time, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. That's how we teach a lot. It's not just skills and drills. Um, For our older, for our NBA guys, Uh, If we're going to break it up, it's really pre-draft and off season. So for us in pre-draft, like we just did with Elijah Hughes and Nate Knight from Atlanta, like we're doing a ton of shooting because shooting is going to, you know, have them show well in these workouts, understanding like NBA concepts and making sure they're in the best shape of their life. Those would be the three things pre-draft and then off season, like we do with, with Herter. And then hopefully with some of the other NBA guys, as they progress too, you know, is, is basically looking at their previous season. Figuring out what they need to do to maximize their own individual skill set, also couple that with what their team wants them to do, um, and then really focus on one, two, or three things. I'm more of like like I'm given a a, a virtual clinic with a FIBA on Thursday, and so when I speak at those things, I'm usually speaking on shooting. That's that's kind of I guess you would say like my specialty would be shooting, but my other specialty because I've done it so long with all the age groups is just game situations. So teaching out of pick Mm. and roll off the ball screens, you know, defensive one-on-one things like that. How how much, how much film do
0: you have guys watch? I mean, are you, are you a bit, obviously film's a part of it to to some extent. Um, I mean, so, so do you, do you incorporate that into some of your workouts?
1: Yeah. So, um, for the, for the NBA guys and college guys, I'll shoot them videos every now and again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, college and NBA guys, they're getting video every day, you know, right. from their coaches. Um, I try not to be redundant. I also try to think, and I don't think a lot of skills trainers and coaches, especially youth coaches, do a good job of this, trying to put myself in the shoes of the player. Right. So, like, so like youth coaches do this, right? They're like, this sixth grader didn't show up and blah, blah. I'm like, dude, when you were in sixth grade, like you just wanted to play, you just wanted to play yeah. five on five with your friends. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's gotta be like a little give and take. I try to do that with the NBA guys too. Like they don't want me hitting them up once a week. They don't, you know what I mean? So um, you try and kind of pick and choose your spots, but you know, we have some high school guys now that are really good that are going to get division one scholarships that don't watch basketball. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to explain to them. I'm like, yo, I that's the best way to learn because you're mimicking what other people are doing. But, but even if you don't do that, you at least need to pick a player and check the highlights. Right. So like, if you don't sit down and watch a full basketball game, like if you're a big, go watch Luca Garza's highlights and see what he does and, and and how he moves. So, you know, we try to, we try to incorporate as much as we can. And, and, you know, it's, it's such a big part of it that the guys that don't do that are missing out.
0: That's really interesting because I, when I was growing up, I never really watched the game, like even up until college, like I, okay, I watched it, you know, I, I you know, and I I would watch, you know, like Jason Kidd on the nets when he was in the nets and stuff, but I never really like loved watching it. And I think that's a big, you don't have to, Um, you know, I turned out okay, but, but I wasn't a scholarship guy. I can only imagine, you know, like it it definitely does take your game to the next level by learning from that, learning from those videos. Um, and, And, and so when you're, I guess it's a good time to ask this question when you're training younger guys specifically. Yeah. And, and they say, I want to, I want to get division one scholarship. What's one of the biggest mistakes you think young players make?
1: So I always say this to the player and the parent, if you do the right things, good things will happen. It may not be what you want to happen, Mm. but it'll be a good thing. For example, I wanted to play division one so bad. It just wasn't when I sat down and assessed all my avenues at the end of doing everything, right. I worked my butt off, right. I I was a good teammate. I was a leader. I was, you know, uh, you know, won a ton of games in high school, all that stuff. I sat down and said, here are my actual options, not some made up options that that an AAU coach or somebody told me, here are my options. What do I feel? Forget division one, division two, any of that. Where do I feel like I'm going to have the most success athletically, academically, and socially. Mm -hmm. Right. And what's going to make me happiest in the long run. I made the right decision. And I was lucky that, you know, my dad wasn't a guy that, you know, he's been a high school coach for however, for like, you know, 15 years and, and he wasn't my high school coach. Um, But, you know, he, he wasn't worried about me going to division one or division two, you know? So, you know, we have those conversations all the time. It's hard because there's so much misinformation out there about, you know what level you should be you should go and play at like we have a kid who was huge when he was younger he's like he was the tallest kid and uh and he never really got to seven feet tall right or the height that he was supposed to so he went from like thinking when he was in seventh grade he's gonna be a division one guy to now he's going to a high academic division three and i'm trying to explain to people you know some other some people from the outside are like oh man i thought he was a division one i'm like yo you guys have no idea like he's gonna graduate in four years and get whatever job he wants, literally. So, so okay, go to go to the division two that is barely holding on and get your degree. And it may not even be a school in five years. And yeah, I get it. Like you don't have to pay for college, right? But fast forward 10 years, who's gonna be better off? You know, so, so I, I, those are the conversations that we try to have with players and parents. I've also turned the corner in the last couple of years and said, You know, like we've had kids that have gone above where they probably should have gone. And I used to be like, man, that's so dumb. And really, like, I'm never going to fault a kid for doing that. If you want to bet on yourself and you understand the pros and cons of what could happen, right, uh, then go for it. And what happens in a couple of years? You just adjust. So what?
0: Yeah. The, the, I think that's the biggest piece too is, is I feel like I'm in a similar boat where I've turned the corner a little bit. Like I get it. You, you never want to judge a guy for doing that, especially with the transfer stuff, you know, yeah. transferring up. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can argue both ways, but as long as you as a player know what you're getting into, the pros yeah. and the cons and the risk yeah. that you're taking by doing yeah. that. Great. Bet on yourself yeah. all day long. And, and, and you're right, man. It's, it's, uh, It's a long term game, and I I try and preach it every day, especially for the guys that think they're going to be pro players and make a ton of money. It's like, yeah, you gotta, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, man. You gotta try and use basketball to whatever extent you can to open up these other doors for you in life because in 10 years, in 15 years, no one gives a shit how many points you scored in Iceland, right? Like, you yeah. know, like no, yeah. nobody cares. So are you yeah. happy? And, and, and are you at a spot where, you, you know, you really want to be? So yeah. I want to transition a little bit just to, to one more main topic. And, and that's yeah. talking about USA basketball, because obviously, yeah. you know, you're involved in a couple different aspects. So tell me, tell me more about that experience. I mean, you've, you've obviously been able to teach some of the highest level players, uh, youth players, and also learn from some of the some unbelievable coaches. So tell me yeah. about that experience.
1: Yeah, it's a really cool experience. I got in contact with uh, Samson Coyote, who runs the USA Basketball Junior National Team. And, um, you know, I got in contact with him through uh, uh, an AAU director that I know. And um, they, uh, I told him, like, listen, I'll do anything to come out there. I'll pay my own way. I just want to be around you guys. And they were like, so skeptical of skills trainers, because a lot of it Mm -hmm. is like, you know, promoting themselves on Instagram and this and that. I'm like, yo, you can have my phone the whole time I'm out there. I don't care. And you know, I ended up getting a couple of good references. They invited me out to, uh, just come, come like kind of see and be around the under 18 training camp with, um, uh, Bill Self was coaching the team that year before they went off to the, to the world championships. And so I was in a meeting the first day with Mike Bray from Notre Dame and Bill Self and those guys just listening. And they were talking actually about, um, FIBA rules. So Bill Self was talking about, listen, last time I brought my team over there, we got called for like a hundred travels. What's the deal? And I kind of raised my hand. I'm like, listen, I played there for six years, whatever. Here's the rule stood up. And I I know it's not the rule now, but it was at the time, you know, how you couldn't take that first step before you dribble, which isn't a travel in America, but it is over there and you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he was like, uh, and he was actually recruiting one of my players at the time. So he kind of knew of me anyway. So he knew I wasn't just a Joe schmo. And he was like, that's great. Uh, during the skill session today, I want you to uh, teach that to our players and then just do the rest of the, the time, uh, do shooting drills with them. I said, okay, cool. So like, I'm walking out with Samson. He's like, so I guess you're like running part of practice. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So I made a good impression and, and it's kind of been, you know, upwards ever since. And it's great getting the chance. We meet like four times a year. And not only do we have a chance to coach the best players in the country, high school, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, but the coaching staff that they've assembled from uh, another trainer, Phil Beckner, who's Dame Lill- Lillard's trainer to, you know, the best high school coaches in the country, Mike Jones from DeMatha, mm-hmm. you know, Sharman White from uh, Pace Academy in, in Georgia, like Don Walter, who's a legend, mm-hmm. um, you know, has been the ability to learn from these guys, not only on the court, but just the humility that they have you figure you get so many successful people in the room that there's going to be a lot of egos and that gets weeded out the first day when when you understand everybody's here to do a job and the saying that they use which i love is you know for these kids um we we tell them you know we don't want anything from you we want everything for you and there's mm. you know kids of that talent level don't have a lot of people around them that can say that you know it's usually the other way around so um, it's been unbelievable.
0: I love that man. I, I I just wrote that quote down. That's that's fantastic. And you're right. I mean. You you don't see that often because it's we live in a world where it's you know take, 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 especially from, you know, the the business side of things where you know, whether it's AAU or agents or college programs, like how can yeah. we how can we, you know, how can we bring you into in, into our family so we can yeah. take you know and and, and take yep. from you. But that's uh that's great, man. So all right, one last question for you here, because I know we covered a lot of topics. So how do you see the landscape of basketball changing in the next five to ten years? Because I think there's 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 a lot of changes coming, um yeah. even pre COVID, but yeah. what do you you see something in particular that's going to be different in five to 10 years
1: on any level a certain level or just overall
0: in in general yeah i mean in general really yeah if there's anything that that comes to mind
1: yeah i mean i I can tell you what i'd like to see i'd like to see especially because i spend so much time in like the youth and high school you know sector i guess you would say is more of like a european approach is Mm -hmm. you know really having like these aau clubs some of them are really good and really organized but a lot a lot of them are crap You know, and just having a structure of like, you know, uh, a director of coaching, a technical director and, you know, stealing from the soccer and and basketball model of Europe would help these kids out so much. I think there's already going to be a shift. I think this summer was really cool because a lot of players couldn't go to the usual camps and workouts. So a lot of them were playing pickup on their own and they were playing outside. We did all our stuff outside and it was awesome. I want to incorporate in that, in uh, that to what we do from here on out. But like one of the things, and and we've been doing this for years, actually, it's funny, when I first started, people are paying you to get their kid in and specifically work on skills and drills with them. And then as like the time progressed, you're seeing like, yo, these kids don't have any place where they can go to make decisions and fail, right? Without like a Mm -hmm. coach telling them what to do. So we've incorporated so much more like freedom for the kids, like three on three, where I may not say anything for like six minutes, and normally if you'd walk in like, Hey, is anybody coaching here? But I won't mm-hmm. say anything and let the kids try and figure it out. And then I'll pop in and be like, Hey, John, how come you set the screen instead of slipping there? And then they explain it to me and okay, go ahead play, you know? So like, that's another part where we need to get way, way, way better. We're doing the kids a huge disservice by telling them exactly what to do yep. all the time because it makes the workout or the practice look better. Who cares about how it looks? Right? These kids need to just make decisions and fail and, and do that over and over and over again. So those two things I think I would love to see.
0: Completely agree. And, and, and on top of that, I think with the European approach, I would love to see it. It's still, it, I'm, it's, it's dumbfounding that it hasn't happened yet, but a unified set of rules. So the fact that there's, I mean, the fact that there's a shot clock in some states and no shot clock in the others and three seconds and five seconds and different rules and different, different uh, dimensions of the courts from here and overseas. I mean, it should all be the same high school and pro should all be this, you know,
1: it's interesting. So like I talk about this all the time, you'll, you'll, first off, you'll never get obviously NBA rules to filter down just because that's a different game, but college to me should be, should be FIBA rules. Yes. All three of the rules. Number one, and I think we're seeing this with the NBA and the college, college isn't necessarily always the best option to get guys ready to play in the NBA. It's not based on like X's and O's and how, t- how teams play. Um, and it's not based on the set of rules because it's a different game. It does help guys with the discipline aspect. I think for the most part, because the co- coach controls the game, but all the other stuff you're not, So like, we're going to be in a, a position where, college basketball is trending like this chaotically, right? So, mm-hmm. so okay, if you're not preparing them for the NBA, if you're not preparing them for Europe, right, and you're just your own simple entity, you're going to end up losing a lot of guys. That's just my personal feeling. If they went to all FIBA rules, now everywhere in the world, college, everywhere except the NBA is all playing right. with the same rules, then there's comparison. There's different styles of play. Like I hate watching a college game with a 30 second shot clock and a team runs dummy offense from side to side for 15 seconds. It's the dumbest thing I've ever, you're not, what are you doing? You're controlling a player. Let him come down, make a decision and play, you know? So I I can be going all day. And
0: quarters versus halves. And yeah, again, uh, there's 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 multiple multiple avenues there but that was yeah. awesome man i know i know we've been we've been talking for almost a half hour here so we'll we'll, we'll cut it short but if you're listening yeah. then you definitely want to follow some of steve's stuff because he's got some awesome things going going on there and and a lot of wisdom in the game so i appreciate you coming on and right before we close up i got one last thing for you i got i call it a sports business lightning round i'm just gonna fire a bunch of questions yeah. at you and you gotta hit me with the first thing that comes to all your right,
1: mind. let me lock in let me lock in go ahead tell me when you're you ready to roll yeah, yeah i'm good all
0: right favorite color red Most points you've ever scored in a game?
1: 39.
0: Pizza or pasta? Pasta. MJ or LeBron? MJ. Coolest city in the world that you've ever been to?
1: Uh, Reykjavik.
0: What's something that you're really bad at?
1: Uh, Any, like, construction stuff around the house.
0: Okay. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life?
1: Um my, I, I'll, I'll group my, my parents and my grandparents all as one, yep. cool. um, my wife and then, um, coach Bury, my college coach.
0: Great. What was your first ever job? Uh,
1: my, my family owns a concrete product business. They've been in business for a hundred years. I was a laborer. So at 12 years old, I was picking weeds and stacking block and stuff.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. If you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: Um, whoo, uh, I don't know if this is a superpower, but live forever.
0: <laughs> that is definitely a superpower. That, yeah. That's allowed. Nice. And if you could trade jobs with anybody in any industry for one week, who would that be?
1: Hmm. I have no idea. I don't could know. Be a player could be a coach. Um, I would go with uh, actually, you know what I would go with, uh, you know, whoever the president of the United States, is, is because, you know, I think there's like a lot of secrets that I'd like to figure out and, and get the real truth on a lot of it.
0: Love that. You're the second person that said that out of all the guests I've had. I like that. Yeah. And yeah. last one, if you could turn back time and talk to 18 year old dags, what would, what would you tell them?
1: Um, hmm. Man, there were so many things I would, <laughs> I would like to tell them uh, just to enjoy playing while you can, because it, it comes to an end quickly. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, that was great. I love it. I love doing that lightning route at the end. Put people on the spot there. You you answered really well and appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom. And uh yeah, looking forward to to uh hopefully getting in a gym with you here soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, man. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.